Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. All right, so as I said earlier today, you all know what today is, right? Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm particularly excited about this because I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, okay? I think most of you know that. And, uh, you know, this Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55, uh, is going to be, it's this annual event a sporting event that's a spectacle unlike any other. I'm not just talking about Patrick Mahomes here, okay? Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to this, let me just tell you. But it's estimated, let me tell you this, that it's estimated that 100 million people will watch the game this afternoon. That's about what watches it every year. So 100 million people this afternoon, uh, that's 200 million eyeballs that will be on that game. Um, you know, some people watch the game uh, because they actually want to see the game. That's why I'm watching the game. I want to see the Chiefs win. Uh, some people watch the game because they love the commercials, right? They get entertained by the commercials. And some people even watch for that thing called the halftime show. And I'm not going to recommend that to anybody, okay? <laughs> I feel like we have a bad track record with those halftime shows. So uh, all these different reasons. But guess what? There's something that all these people have in common during the Super Bowl. You know what it is? They're all eating something, okay? Everyone who watches the Super Bowl eats Super Bowl food. In fact, my brother called me, I think, no less than four times yesterday to say, hey, how do you do this? How do you fix that? Because he's hosting a big uh, party at his house. You know, he lives in Kansas. So, of course, they're celebrating. But I looked it up and uh, got some stats on the amount of food that's going to be consumed this afternoon. Now, these are estimates, so who knows if it's actually accurate. But if you think about it, food falls into two categories, right? Salty and sweet snacks. That's kind of what you bring to a Super Bowl party. How many of you in here are salty snack people? That's what you like. All right, that's me too. You are the chosen. How about the sweet people? Okay, yeah. Uh, I, you know, that's fine. I'm a diabetic, so there is a reason behind, uh, behind my thinking. All right, so here's the top foods that are eaten. Okay, so 1.38 billion, with a B, chicken wings are gonna be consumed this afternoon. That's a lot of chickens that had to die, isn't it? Okay. Um, there is gonna be 12.5 million pizzas that are cooked. 11.2 million pounds of french fries. So that's just some of the foods. Then you start thinking about the beverages, okay? So it says 187,500 gallons of soda are going to be drank, okay? Get this one. 50 million cases of beer. All right, so do the math. We said 100 million people are watching and anyways, uh, you can figure that one out. Um Here's okay, one more one more stat here. Eight million pounds of popcorn. Do you know how much it takes to make a pound of popcorn? And eight million pounds of that stuff are gonna be uh stuffed into people's mouths. So a lot of food. They say fourteen point eight billion dollars will be spent just on the food this afternoon. So that's pretty crazy if you think about how much is consumed. Um one website I read also said that antacid sales go up by 20% the day after the Super Bowl. So you kind of do the math on that too. So why do people eat all this food as part of that celebration? It's because it tastes good to us, right? We like those sweet snacks or those salty snacks and we want something that tastes good. You know, you never see uh, things on the list like broccoli or liver or collard greens or any of those things that we wouldn't call tasting good. People want to eat what tastes good. And you know what? Our passage today actually talks about not food that tastes good, but people that taste good, people that have a good flavor. 
Um, Matthew 5, 13 through 16 talks about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And what we want to look at this morning is to, uh, is, is to see how we are actually called uh, to fit that description. How we are called to be the salt of the earth. You've probably heard that phrase before, right? Somebody, if you say, oh, that guy, he's the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That means he's a really friendly, down-to-earth person, somebody you would love to have as your next-door neighbor. Okay, so we're going to unpack a little bit what it means to be the salt of the earth. What it means to have that good flavor that people want uh, in their life. You know, uh, Jesus calls his disciples to be salt and light. And I love those two pictures. I love how the Sermon on the Mount is full of these word pictures. And so our goal this morning is to unpack what it looks like to be salt and what it unpacks to be light. And as we do that, um, you know, he wants us to demonstrate his goodness and his love in a world that desperately needs him. As a matter of fact, did you know that's the vision of Trinity Church? I don't know if you notice this when you walk out. I think if you've been here a while, you probably don't even look at that back wall. Uh, but if you want to turn back and if you're watching online, I'm going to read the vision statement that's up on the wall. It says Trinity Church will be a family of believers equipped and engaged to share the love of Christ in a world desperately needing him. And that's what it means to be salt and light. And so this morning we want to look at how that works, how that will look in our lives. So let's look at the text this morning so we can see how it is that Jesus calls us to be that salt and light. Uh, People that overflow with the love of Christ have the same flavor as Jesus and do the same things that he asks us to do. So if you will follow along in your Bibles or on the screens, we're going to read Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew five thirteen through 16. This is the word of the Lord for us today. So if you've got your bulletins, there are actually two main points we're going to make today. And I'm actually going to give you both of your blanks in your bulletin right now at the beginning of the sermon. And so if you're one of those people that fills out the blanks and then you check that box and you're free to get up and go now, okay? So... <laughs> No, I'm just, I'm kidding, okay? Uh, so the two points we want to, two simple truths we want to look at is this idea of salt and light. Two simple things. Number one, salt changes things. And number two, light reveals things. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And he says, you are salt and you are light. So he's calling us to change things and he's calling us to reveal some things. And so we want to unpack what that looks like this morning. Now, salt changes things. That's the first thing we want to talk about. Uh, one author that I read this week said, notice it doesn't say you are the garlic of the earth or you are the paprika of the earth. It's, it's salt. Salt is something that every human and civilization since the beginning of time has valued and used. And so when you think of salt, you probably think of a salt shaker, right? Uh, There's something that you're going to put on your food. Um, and that's part of it. But if we're talking about what was Jesus referring to when he said salt, is that what he mean? I mean, I don't think they had salt shakers or iodized salt back in those days. So what was salt in the ancient world? So three things that salt was used for in the ancient world, uh, and they are the seasoning, 
preserving and purifying. This is one of those moments where you're probably like, Marcus, how do you know that? How do you possibly know that's what salt was used for? Great question. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I want to recommend to you, this is one of the tools that I have in my on my shelf. Uh, so it's called the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. So this is one of the most helpful tools if you're a pastor, if you're just studying the Bible on your own. Uh, it's not an answer everything kind of resource, but you can look up the word salt and it just explains kind of the history of salt, how it's used in scripture, reflects on a lot of those things. So a little commercial here. Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. This is uh, by IVP Press. Uh, there's a lot of dictionaries out there, but this one's really helpful. Um, again, on a lot of things, you can look up uh, what what the theme actually means in Scripture. It'll give you a lot of cross-references and, and kind of what's going on in the different passages. So, what is salt there for? Seasoning, preserving, and purifying. Uh, if you think about it, that's the most common thing we use salt for today, right, is to season food. You want more salt on your French fries or, uh, you, you know, people will say, oh, that food's bland. It needs a little salt. So that's probably the most common thing we would use it for even today. But preserving, actually, we use it for that, too. <laughs> Anybody here like bacon? Uh, there's a lot of salt in bacon that preserves it. And so, again, in the old days, they had no, in ancient times, they had no refrigeration. If they wanted to make meat last, they had to season it with salt and cure it. Uh, and so it was used to preserve things like meat and food. Uh, and also, it was a purifying thing. Uh, we actually see um, some symbolic rituals. They would use salt to cleanse people. They actually talk about the salt of the covenant. So a, a, a pure and holy covenant was sealed with salt. Um, and one of the things that we see about this, uh, salt was such a valuable thing in these days. Uh, it was actually almost like a commodity, almost like a currency. Uh, Roman soldiers were sometimes paid with salt, like that was their wages. Um, and, and you've probably heard the saying, oh, he's not worth his salt. In other words, he's not worth the wages that we paid him. Um, and so uh, it's a valuable commodity. So really, from ancient times all the way up till now, it's hard to imagine life without salt. What would life be like without salt? Because salt changes things. A couple of things we want to talk about that salt changes as it relates to our walk with Christ. Um, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him, if he's your savior, you've believed in him alone for the salvation of your sins, then your life has changed. Salt changes things. This idea of us being salt means that our lives, our own lives, have been changed by Jesus. Because we know Jesus, our lives have a different flavor. Okay? Does that make sense? So the rest of the world is going the direction of the world. If you know Jesus, God says, you now are salt. You are not like the rest of the world. You have been made pure. You've been made holy. You've been seasoned with the truth of the gospel, changed completely. And now you are the salt that is called uh, to go and bring about change. So because we know Jesus, our lives have a different flavor. We are distinct. We are separate. We are different than the rest of the world. And this is an interesting thing because when we talk about how do we relate to the world, it doesn't mean like, oh, we're all the good people and we're going to separate ourselves from the bad people. In fact, Jesus talks about this. Uh, Jesus spent time with sinners and tax collectors. Paul talks about being uh, in the world, but not of the world. Jesus says some things like that. You know, there are really, though, I think, two key areas of life that I want us to recognize that have been changed by the gospel. God says, if you're a member of the kingdom, your life has been changed. You are like salt. You're different than everything else around you. Well, in what way? 
A couple of ways. One is our speech. Okay, so Colossians 4, verse 6. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, the context of that verse is Paul's talking about how you share Christ with other people. And he's saying, uh, your speech should be gracious, different than other people's speech, seasoned with salt, a good flavor. Um, and I think that's important for us to remember in the day and time that we live. Uh, yes, we say things differently, but look at that. It says, your speech should always be gracious. Whether you're talking to your spouse, whether you're talking to your kids or your parents, uh, your neighbors, your enemies, <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're talking to. Let your speech always be gracious. You know, that's not the way of the world. That's countercultural. Um, and that's why that would be called seasoned with salt. It's a different flavor than what you get from people who don't know Jesus. If Jesus has saved you, you are called to have a life that's changed, speech that's changed. And, you know, if you read all through the, the New Testament, we see how important our words are. The direction of our words affect the direction of our life. And so this idea of saying that your speech is even transformed gives your hot life a whole different flavor. Just the way you talk to people changes the way that they're going to hear the way that they're going to understand you and hear the way that you present the message of Christ. You know, we have this amazing message that God so loved the world. And God says, let all of your speech be seasoned with salt. All of your speech be gracious. That way, when it comes time to share that message, People are willing to listen to you. So salt changes things. Salt changes our lives. Another thing uh, in our life that it changes, in addition to our speech, is our behavior, our conduct. Uh, so this fact that we have the gospel, that we are citizens of the kingdom, which is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, says that we now not only have different speech, we also have a different conduct. First Peter 2, 11 and 12, Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, so this idea that we are salt means that we have a different flavor than the rest of the world because we've been changed. God has taken our sins. He's paid for it. He says, you can live in purity. You can have pure speech. You can have pure conduct. It's possible. God makes it possible. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. In other words, among the people who don't believe in God, keep it honorable because you are distinct from them. You've been redeemed. You've been set free from your sins. And so the call is, uh, let your life be changed by Jesus. So if you are the salt of the world, that means your life has been changed. Your speech has been changed. Your conduct has been changed. There are a lot of other things we could go through and list off, but those things kind of capture big picture of what we're talking about. So salt changes things. Us, ourselves, I think that's one of the messages of the Sermon on the Mount. But I love how in these verses, in verses 13 through 16, Jesus kind of changes the focus. Last week he was talking a lot about Blessed are you, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who uh, are persecuted for righteousness. And now he kind of says, well, here's the reason you're blessed. One of the reasons you're blessed is so that you can share this message with the rest of the world, an outward focus. So the Sermon on the Mount tells us here's how you live so that 
you can impact the world around you. You are the salt of the earth. You're not just salt to sit on a shelf. Okay? Uh, so salt changes the world around us. You know, uh, earlier, just a couple verses earlier, Matthew 5, uh, one of the last Beatitudes, let's see here, uh, looking at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And then immediately we go into this phrase that says, you are the salt of the earth. It's interesting. This means that the world doesn't even know that they need us. In fact, sometimes people who oppose Christianity and oppose Christians wish we weren't even around. But God says you are the salt of the earth. And whether they like it or not, salt is needed to change their lives. They need the salt whether they realize it or not. So we, with our speech seasoned with salt, are called to present this message to the world. Even though the world may not want us around, the world may persecute Christians. There's examples of that in our own country. There's examples of that around the world. Some people whose lives are literally in danger because they're Christians. And God says to his people, you are the salt of the earth. I want you to go out and proclaim my message even to those who persecute you. Blessed are you when people persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. You are the salt of the earth. You can be glad in this. Salt changes us. Salt changes the world around us. If you think about how do we change the world around us? How does God want us to change the world around us as the salt of the earth? Uh, Remember those three things about salt. We're called to season. We're called to preserve. We're called to purify. We're called to season the world. Bring, uh, I mean, you could say it any way you want, but this idea of being uh, an agent of change for the gospel in our society. Ultimately, the gospel is the only thing that's going to transform people. But we are called to live gospel-infused lives. So we want to season the world that we live in so that God can change it. Now, what does that mean? Uh, some people would say, well, that means we need to be active politically and, and we got to vote the right way. That's important. That's part of being salt of the earth. But I would tell you, if that's your understanding of what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, then you're missing a big piece of this. Because politics might be one realm in which God works, but it's not the only realm. And I would say, if you read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of Jesus' teaching in the New Testament, I think far more important, it's not just how you vote, that is important, but far more important is how you treat every person you come in contact with every day. People who work for you, the people who supervise you, the person who comes to your house to deliver something, how you treat those people uh, is how you spread the salt. It's how you season the world. One life at a time, you can share what you have. You have the flavor of Jesus. Share that with as many people as you can. Salt changes things. Jesus said this, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So remember this. The world doesn't always want to have the salt, okay? Uh, When you bring that influence and try to live your life the way God's asked you to, uh, to live in the way that God describes here in the Sermon on the Mount, the world may not like it. They may even reject you for it. But they need the salt 
to change their lives. That's what salt does. It changes things. And God says, you are the salt of the earth. You are here to change the earth, to share what you have, to spread this thing. So what are the takeaways? I think what we need to remember is, first of all, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. You're separate from the world. You are different. You are this thing called salt. Maybe it's even more accurate to say, don't forget whose you are. Jesus has set you free from sin. Now go and live the way he set you free to live, in righteousness and in the way he describes in the Sermon on the Mount. So we are called to be different. We are changed by the gospel, have the same flavor as Jesus. And then the second thing is this, very simply, if you're salt, get off the shelf, okay? Uh, if you think about it, you could have a salt shaker sitting at the table, right? And you're, you've got a, uh, some kind of vegetable that, that's just bland, but you got the salt right there. If you never shake it out of the salt shaker, it can't do its work. You know, salt, one, one author said this, salt brings flavor and it enhances other flavors, but it only works when it is out of the salt shaker. So you have to get out and share what you have. Jesus has given you this amazing thing called salvation. And he says, now you are the salt of the earth. Go out and spread that salt so it can do some good. All right. So that's the first thing. We are salt and light. The second thing is light. And we want to talk for a couple minutes now about light revealing things. Light reveals things. Uh, Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Now, if you think about light, again, in the ancient world, none of us actually lived in the ancient world, but just imagine What's the brightest thing you could imagine in the ancient world? Probably stars and sun. Um, but man, if we're thinking about a man-made light, a fire, right? Some kind of bright fire. And so, and even brighter than that, probably the most light a person had ever seen would have been a city. When you're journeying in the dark and you look ahead and you see all the lamps and torches or whatever burning in that city, that'd be probably one of the brighter things they've ever seen. Uh, we're spoiled with light, right? We can flip the switch on and flip it off. <laughs> Not so much for them. If they wanted light, they had to light a flame, light a fire. Um, and so Jesus says, you are like a city on a hill. And that can't be hidden. There's so much light there. It's just visible to everyone. It's impossible to hide that. Verse 15, you would never light a lamp and then cover it up. Because the whole reason you light a lamp is to give light to everyone in the house. You were called to make a difference. And so the purpose that a light is lit, a light is lit is to give light to everyone in the house. You are the light of the world. Give light to everyone in the world. Think about what Jesus said uh, right before he went back into heaven. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what he's talking about is you're going to go out and spread my light to everyone you meet. Light reveals things. And I think what we want to see is just a couple of things here. Light reveals a different way to think. If you have the light of Jesus in your life, um, then you've been given a different way of thinking. If you know Jesus, if you are in the light, then you've been transformed. I love this verse, Romans 12, 2. It's a different way of thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. See, a new way of thinking a new way of understanding the world in light of what Jesus has done for you, new thinking leads to a new way of life. 
And so light reveals a different way to think. The light of Christ reveals a different way to think about the whole world, to think about everything you do, every decision you make. Light also reveals a different way to walk. We see this throughout Scripture. This idea of walking in a different way, walking in the light. Here's a couple passages. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. What does it look like to walk in a different way? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Did you catch that? It says, live in such a way that you shine as lights. You stand out from the way the rest of the world lives. And a couple of those specific things, right? You stand out when you do things without grumbling or disputing. It goes back to the words we say, right? The words we say to one another, the words and way we say things to one another. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Next verses, Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. For at one time you were darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. See, light reveals things. We can walk as children of light. I don't know how many of you have ever done this, tried to walk maybe across your yard in the dark. Or even through your house. If you get up in the middle of the night and need to use the restroom and you stumble through your room. Well, now we all have this thing, right, called a phone. So you can, you can just, uh, you know, turn on your light just like that. You have a flashlight. But light reveals a better way to walk. I don't know anybody who would rather stumble around in the darkness instead of using a light. And that's the way it is with us uh, in life as well. God says, apart from Christ, you're walking in the dark. You're stumbling around, crashing into all kinds of things that can destroy you. But when you know Christ, he shows you the way to have peace with God, to live life the way humans were designed to live it, in harmony with him, following his word. You have the light of life. Walk as children of light. Light reveals how to walk in a different way. If you have the light of Christ, you can walk in a different way. The most important thing, though, is this. Light reveals the way to God. The way to God. And so this picture of light, did you all notice this? Did it strike you when I read that verse the first time where it says, you are the light of the world? Because it struck me when I was studying it this week. I remembered over in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So how is it possible for him now to say to us, now you are the light of the world? I thought he was the light of the world. In fact, uh, flipping your Bibles over to John chapter 1. This is talking about when Jesus came and the purpose for which he came. John does a lot with dark versus light. Very symbolic. Darkness represents life apart from God, condemnation, evil, and light represents Jesus, the coming of the good news into the world. John chapter 1 verse 3, uh, 1 verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the light that came into the world to show us the way to God. That's the purpose for which he came. He's called the light of the world. 
He's the one. We're walking around in the dark, stumbling around, trying to figure this out on our own. Am I good enough to get to heaven or not? Jesus says, no, you're not. In fact, you can take a spotlight. And in fact, if you read scripture, this is what a spotlight does. You may not like this, okay? If it gets shown in your eyes, David didn't like that. Who am I looking for back there? Any Chiefs fans back there? Anyway, <laughs> nobody likes to have this 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 light shown in their eyes. Um, in fact, that's what it does. When we turn the spotlight on us, we see our sinfulness. But when we turn the spotlight on Jesus, on the cross, which is what we did when we celebrated communion, flash it up there. When we shine the light on the cross, it shows us the way that we can have peace with God. And so that's exactly what Jesus does. He shines the spotlight on the cross. He shines the light so that we can see the way to get to God. And it's through trusting in what he did on the cross. And he says, I am the light that shows you the way to God. Now you are my little miniature lights. Now go out and be the light of the world and point them to the same thing. Point them to the cross. Point them to Jesus. Point them in the way that they can reach God. Through faith. When we think about how light reveals things. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the reason that we are the light of the world? It's so that we can bring light to anyone else who is walking in darkness. We want to share this light, guide them to the same destination that we are going to. We are miniature lights Light reveals the way to God. A couple of takeaways here. Number one is this, kind of that first thing we said, reflect Jesus. If you have the light, you are called to reflect him. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you walk. You are called to reflect the way that God tells you to walk, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, Matthew 5 through 7. So reflect Jesus. Reflect the character that he calls you to live out. Reflect, reflect the fact that he sets you free from sin. So that's the first thing. Demonstrate the kingdom character. You're a citizen of God's kingdom, so demonstrate that character. But the second thing is, reveal the way to Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. He says, you are the light of the world. That means go out there and reveal, point people to Jesus through your words and through your actions and through everything you do. Like the moon reflects the sun. We reflect the love of God to the people who need it. And when they gaze at us, they should see a picture of the love of Christ. And we point them back to that love of Christ so that they can be rescued from their sins just like we were. Reveal the way to Jesus. Reflect Jesus so that you can reveal the way to Jesus. You know, uh, I want to tell you a little story about 11 years ago, on August 5, 2010, there were 33 miners who were trapped by a mine collapse about 500 miles north of Santiago, Chile. Many of you have heard this story. For three weeks, no one knew whether those miners were alive or dead. They were more than 700 meters below the surface. Until finally they were able to convey a note to the surface and a probe that was sent down by the authorities. And, this, and the note said this, Estamos bien en el refugio los 33. Anybody want to translate that for me? Probably couldn't understand my Spanish. I apologize. The translation is, we are well in the shelter, all 33 of us. 
Okay, So they were safe underground, but living in darkness. So over the next two months, crews worked feverishly to bore a rescue shaft to extract them, and they installed an elevator. And finally, on October 13, each man emerged alive, more than two months after they were trapped by the collapse. So one of the guys, Mario Sepulveda, the group's leader, and the second man to be rescued, remembered his fear as the capsule hauled him upwards out of the darkness, not knowing if the plan would work. This is what he said. On the way out, it was terrible, terrible, he said. I screamed. I just wanted to get out to see the light. Imagine what it would have been like to be one of those miners at the moment of rescue when you finally see the light again. When they come out of darkness and into light. Your brothers and sisters, there is a whole world of people out there. A whole world of people who are waiting. They're trapped in darkness. Slaves to sin, just wanting to get out, just wanting to see the light. We have good news. A way has been made through our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. Let us show them the way to this light. Will you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth from your word. God, I thank you for calling us to be salt and light. God, I pray that we would uh, be faithful in that calling. Lord, help us to know how to represent you and how to reflect you so that more and more people would gain access to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to shine brightly uh, and to draw many people to know you for all eternity. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we, uh, I'll give you a benediction uh, before you go from here. So please stand for the benediction. The words of Ephesians chapter 3 say this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. Go and make disciples.